With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch right at your fingertips with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Check us out at NotreDameFCU.com, insured by NCUA. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by our friends over at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Last episode was our introductory episode on the Eucharist as mystery. And now we begin a three-part series, which is based off of talks that you gave at, at recent conferences in the diocese. And it covers the Eucharist or love as sacrifice, presence, and communion. So if you missed the introduction, go back and check that last episode out. It was really good and give you a lot of background here. But today we're talking about the Eucharist as sacrifice. Yeah, this is, as we talked about near the end of the last show, this is the one area that I think at least people have said to me that they knew the least about or understood the least mm -hmm. about. So and that, that doesn't surprise me. But I, I think it's good to think about, okay, in the Eucharist, Christ gives himself to us, his bride, the church, the very act by which he poured out his life for us on the cross. So the Eucharist is an act, an event. And so he gives us the very act by which he poured out his life for us. And as a result, through this, he cleanses us and sanctifies us by the remission of our sins. Mm -hmm. This was an act of infinite love, an event of infinite love. Christ has given to his bride, the church, the continued presence of the very act by which he showed his love to the end. And that act is the Eucharistic sacrifice. Hmm. I thought you were going to say the crucifixion. Well, that is. And, and this is where they get tied together. But for some reason, in my mind, we separate these. Right. So this is good. The act by which he died for our sins was the crucifixion. Uh -huh. And that act is what becomes present. Okay. His sacrifice on the cross. Mm-hmm. This gets back to the whole notion again of memorial. Because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist is also a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. The Catechism says the sacrificial character of the Eucharist is manifested in the very words of institution. This is my body which is given for you. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In the Eucharist, Christ gives us the very body by which he gave up for us on the cross and the very blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So these very words of institution spoken by Christ reveal that the Eucharist is a sacrifice. He says, this is my body which is given for you. Okay, given for you implies a sacrifice of expiation that's offered on our behalf. Jesus had already said to the disciples earlier on that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many. Now his words over the cup also use sacrificial language, blood poured out for you 
and for many. Jesus is the true Passover lamb of the new covenant whose blood is to be poured out in sacrifice and whose flesh and blood is to be consumed by the faithful in a new Passover rite of the new covenant. This new rite is the Eucharist. Also, St. Thomas Aquinas explained how, like, why don't we consecrate the bread and the wine together? Why mm. do we do a separate? The separate consecration of the bread and the wine symbolizes the death of the Lord. For when a body is separated from its blood, you have death. Mm. Okay? So Christ's sacrifice is the church's perpetual sacrifice in the Eucharist. It's a sacrifice that glorifies the Father. It's a sacrifice that atones for sin. It's expiatory. Another word is propitiatory. Hmm. Jesus' blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The Eucharist applies to us today the reconciliation that Christ won for us on the cross. We gain the fruits of his sacrifice. So, from the very beginning of the church, Christians believed in the sacrificial nature of the Eucharist. This was understood and believed. All you have to do is look at early liturgical texts of the Mass mm -hmm. and the writings of the fathers of the church the first, in the first centuries. Clearly, they all understood that this was a sacrifice. So, the earliest Eucharistic prayers that we have, it's very clear. They affirm the oneness of the Mass with the sacrifice of Calvary, of which it's the sacramental or mystical image. The Mass, because think about it, it's the same priest making the offering and the same victim being offered, Jesus Christ. You know, the priest, the ordained priest, is just representing Christ, but it's Christ who's actually um, the priest at Mass. Mm -hmm. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus suffers again at the Mass. No. His passion and his death is sacramentally represented. Now, this became, as I said, really in the first millennium, this was accepted, this was believed. It was very clear to people that the Eucharist was a sacrifice. It was only later with Martin Luther and Protestant reformers that they, there was a rejection of this. Luther was very vehement in rejecting the sacrificial nature of the Mass. And at that point, the Council of Trent, which was responding really to the errors of Luther and Calvin and others, uh, solemnly declared, so this is a dogmatic definition, the Council of Trent, and I quote, the sacrifice of the Mass makes the sacrifice of Calvary present on our altars, perpetuating it throughout the ages. This is so important that our present catechism quotes Trent quite at length on this. Huh. I mean, the Council of Trent put it in very clear terms, and really it's a whole paragraph from Trent 
in the Catechism, number 1366. So I'll quote that. Christ our Lord and God was once and for all to offer himself to God the Father by his death on the altar of the cross to accomplish there an everlasting redemption. But because his priesthood was not to end with his death, at the Last Supper, on the night when he was betrayed, he wanted to leave his beloved spouse, the church, a visible sacrifice, as the nature of man demands, by which the bloody sacrifice, which he was to accomplish once for all on the cross, would be represented, its memory perpetuated until the end of the world, and its salutary power be applied to the forgiveness of the sins we daily commit. So the Catechism confirms what the Council of Trent taught, what the Church has always believed. The Eucharist is a sacrifice because it makes present. It represents the sacrifice of the cross. And it's, it's, also, it's, it's memorial. And it applies its fruits. Okay? So, Martin Luther really wouldn't accept this because he understood, or he said that the understanding of the Mass as a good work and a sacrifice is an invention of the devil and an abomination. I mean, Luther really... Uh, but then if you counter... Those who counter Luther said, well, for centuries... The church has believed this. This is the church's tradition, fathers of the church, etc. He said, and he admitted that, yes, okay, the mass was understood as a sacrifice for all those centuries, but the church was wrong all mm. those centuries, basically, Luther mm -hmm. is saying. Luther says it's an abomination because it's this is because of his whole understanding of justification. It was an abomination because he saw it as the way of the law not the way of grace and faith, but as an attempt to justify oneself through works. Hmm. Now, our response as Catholics, the Catholic response, is that we don't consider the Mass merely as a human work. It's the sacrifice of Christ. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, it's not a human work. Right. But we're given the gift of being able to associate ourselves with his sacrifice. This is what's so beautiful. We can participate in offering this act of worship. That's what we do at Mass. Mm -hmm. So the Eucharistic sacrifice, it infinitely transcends mere human activity, and it even transcends time itself. Luther understands justification as purely passive on our part. Hmm. So he naturally rejects the sacrificial dimension of the Mass. He doesn't allow for our cooperation in Christ's work of redemption and Christ's glorification of the Father. Which I, I feel like that's the St. Paul thing that we, I, I'm going to butcher if I try to quote it, but that, that we have something to contribute to right what's lacking and in the sufferings, sufferings of Christ, Christ, right? Exactly, exactly. No, you're, per, that's, and so he, we believe that, that Christ has granted us his body, his mystical body, the privilege of participating in his work of glorification and mm -hmm. redemption. We can glorify the Father with him.
Okay. And this participation, though, is utterly subordinate to his grace and his redeeming work. But it can be seen as its crown mm. because he associates his body with the work of redemption, his body meaning the church. So we say, and the catechism is very clear, the Eucharist is the sacrifice of Christ, and it's also the sacrifice of the church. Mm -hmm. So the Eucharist, the church, and I'll quote the catechism, the church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head. With him, she herself is offered, whole and entire. She unites herself to his intercession with the Father to all men. In the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ becomes also the sacrifice of the members of his body, the lives of the faithful, their praise, sufferings, prayer, and work are united with those of Christ and with his total offering, and so acquire a new value. Christ's sacrifice present on the altar makes it possible for all generations of Christians to be united with his offering. I think this is something we need to be more aware of when we're at Mass. You know, one especially important part is in the offertory. Mm. I mean, why are the gifts brought forward in procession? Okay, you have the faithful bringing up the bread and wine. But the idea is that we are to offer ourselves with Jesus offer our works, offer our sufferings, offer our prayers, our praise, our whole lives. And that's so beautiful when we enter into Mass with that idea. And we do this in giving you know, glory to the Father. So Jesus left us this memorial of his sacrifice in the Eucharist so that we can enter into it, mm -hmm. so we can enter into his hour, the hour of in which he loved us to the end, the hour of his passion, death, and resurrection. In that first encyclical of Pope Benedict XVI, God is love, Deus caritas est, he writes very beautifully about this. He wrote, the Eucharist draws us into Jesus's act of self-oblation, more than just statically receiving the incarnate logos we enter into the very dynamic of his self-giving. Mm. He gives us his supreme sacrifice of love to be our sacrifice. So we join with him in offering it to the Father. And not only that, the saints join us in offering the Eucharistic sacrifice. Mass is always offered in communion with and commemorating the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the saints. And it's offered for the faithful departed who have died in Christ but aren't yet wholly purified so that they may be able to enter into the light and peace of Christ. Now back to the Protestant objections. The Protestant reformers held that the Eucharist is a banquet rather than a sacrifice. Uh -huh. Luther assumed that the order to eat and drink is incompatible with the offering of sacrifice. He saw the idea of the Mass as a sacrifice as being in contradiction with its aspect of communion and banquet. Hmm. And John Calvin agreed with him, by the way. 
But the Catholic position, and this, as I said, goes back to the early centuries of the church, and in you can see it in our the the liturgies of the early church, the writings of the fathers, that the mass is both a sacrifice offered to God and a supreme gift received from him in a sacred banquet. So we don't say it's either a sacrifice or a banquet. We say it's both. Mm -hmm. It's a sacrificial banquet. It's sacrifice and banquet. Whereas Luther and Protestants generally say, no, it's just a banquet. This was one of the big, big things with the Protestant Reformation. The other objection that Protestants would have is that the, the idea of the mass as sacrifice, they said, implies that Christ would be killed again in every mass. Mm-hmm. Well, Council of Trent responded to this objection by distinguishing between a bloody and an unbloody mode of sacrifice. Mm. The sacrifice on Calvary was a bloody sacrifice in which Christ's blood was physically separated from his body and that brought about his violent death. Well, in the Mass, Christ is the same victim who's offered, but here his blood is separated from the body, not physically, because Christ can't die anymore, but under sacramental signs. Sacramental separation takes the place of physical separation of body and soul. So the Mass is a sacramental sacrifice, the representational image, as St. Thomas Aquinas taught, of the sacrifice of Calvary. And there is living contact with the event of Calvary at Mass. And it's, there's this mysterious bridging of the gap of time and place, enabling us to participate in Christ's sacrifice. So when you said... Jesus, God is outside of time and space. Would it be safe to say that the sacrifice that happens at mass was, did happen at the crucifixion? That when Jesus was crucified, he, like the sacrifice that happened there, took into account every mass that would happen to the end of time. And that was all present at the crucifixion. In the same way that the mass that we attend is tapping into that eternal sacrifice as well. Correct. So there's, Correct. there's like this bridge in the... It's bridging time yeah. and space. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. We're talking about one single sacrifice, okay, because this is... Let me quote the catechism here in 1367. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And since in this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner. This sacrifice is truly propitiatory. It can't be a new bloody sacrifice when you think about it because Jesus in his glorious body cannot die again. Mm. His bloody immolation cannot be repeated. And so the mass represents that bloody immolation of Calvary through an unbloody sacramental separation 
of his blood from his body. And only in this unbloody mode of offering does the sacrifice of the Mass differ from Calvary. The disconnect between, I'm still kind of going back to this, disconnect between the sacrifice and the banquet. Yes. Does that seem to ignore the, the connection to the Passover where the, the Israelites were told to, uh, they sacrifice a lamb and then they were to consume all of it and whatever they couldn't consume, they were to burn. Right. Which, which seems like it was both a sacrifice and a banquet. Exactly. And this is a continuation or a completion of that. A completion. Because Christ is the new Passover lamb and the blood of the lamb mm-hmm. is the blood of Christ. But you're exactly right. And that's why a mass is not complete without Holy Communion. Mm. The priest has to receive. You can have a mass. You, the mass is not the sacrifice of the mass is not complete until the body and blood are consumed. So a priest cannot decide to consecrate the Eucharist and then not consume it. Hmm. It's required mm-hmm. or it's not illicit celebration, okay. which is very interesting. It shows the necessity of both. Mm-hmm. I'll get into this, the banquet dimension more when I get to communion, the okay. mystery of communion. Yeah. But it's related. You can't. So I think it's good sometimes to just say this is a sacrificial banquet. Mm-hmm. You know, that puts the both together. Mm-hmm. The Eucharist is a sacrificial banquet. Now, I think with all this emphasis on the Mass making present the sacrifice of the cross, it's important to remember that it's the whole Paschal mystery of Christ that's made present in a sacramental way at Mass. So, not only the making present of the passion and death of Jesus, but also his resurrection. Sometimes that's neglected a little bit. John Paul pointed this out in his encyclical on the Eucharist. John Paul wrote, Christ's Passover includes not only his passion and death, but also his resurrection. The Eucharistic sacrifice makes present not only the mystery of the Savior's passion and death, but also the mystery of the resurrection which crowned his sacrifice. It is as the living and risen one that Christ can become in the Eucharist the bread of life, the living bread. To read in John 6, okay? So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread come down from heaven. So it's really essential that we, we recognize because the victory of the resurrection is also present in the Eucharist. And also the mystery of the ascension is present. We receive, when we go to Holy Communion, we receive, it's the body of Christ that has ascended and sits in glory at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We receive the body and blood of our risen and glorified Lord. And notice, we're not obliged to go to Mass on Thursday, the day of the Last Supper. Hmm. And we're not obliged to go to Mass on Friday, the Lord of the day of our Lord's sacrificial death. Uh-huh. We're obliged to go to Mass on Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection, huh. which crowned his sacrifice. Okay. 
The sacrifice of Christ on Calvary was a gift to his Father, a gift that God the Father accepted. And the Father gave in return a gift, the gift of new immortal life in the resurrection. We receive in Holy Communion what St. Ignatius of Antioch called the medicine of immortality and an antidote to death. Mm. So I think that's another aspect that, you know, the resurrection crowned the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's also part of the memorial. It's the memorial of Christ's Passover from death to life. Okay, so it's the risen and glorified body that we receive. He is the bread of life. He's not the bread of death. Mm-hmm. Is there also something that we miss with regards to the altar? And in our modern day, when we think of an altar, we think of a place of prayer. And if you set up an altar in your home, it's not a place to sacrifice something. You're not killing animals on it. It's a place where you'd set up some you know, right. religious artwork and a crucifix and a rosary or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. So is that maybe Home some altar, of the yeah. disconnect that between this Old Testament idea of sacrifice and, and something that we lose? Never thought Christ? of that, you know, speaking of it as a home altar, because it really is just a table uh-huh. because they're really, you're right. I mean, I guess you could say in, in a sense, when you pray, you're offering a s- sacrifice, a prayer. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, but it's not a sacramental sacrifice, which is the mass. Just trying to think some of the altars that I've seen, home altars where people will have a crucifix on it, maybe some holy cards or statues. And if it's the place where they're offering, you know, in that sense, there's a sacrificial dimension because they're offering prayers Mm -hmm. there at that table. But yeah, it's not something that, for example, is blessed or consecrated like an altar upon which the Eucharist is celebrated. Mm -hmm. That altar is consecrated to the Lord and you can't do anything else on it. Right. Yeah. But anybody in the Old Testament, if you would have said an altar, they would have thought that's a place that you sacrifice things. But now we say an altar in the front of church, we say that's a table. Yeah. Yeah. And we lose that that meaning of, of sacrifice. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. There was a period in, like in the 70s where they were emphasizing the Eucharist as banquet so much mm. that they would just call the altar a table. And that's kind of a, oh, right. a you know, that Protestant idea. Uh, and I, and some, that notion of sacrifice got lost for a while, uh-huh. you know, and they stopped calling it necessarily the sacrifice of the Mass. Mm-hmm. I purposely, when I'm speaking about the Mass, will say, Eucharistic sacrifice or sacrifice of the mass because kind of lost that awareness sometimes. Mm-hmm. But when you listen carefully to the Eucharistic prayers, think about there's a lot of sacrificial language. Mm-hmm. Or even at every mass, the end of the offertory, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Mm-hmm. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. I mean, that's all sacrifice right there. So I wonder, like as a lay faithful, being conscious of those words, they can become very 
rote, I guess, or routine that we don't really think, okay, my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable. Mm -hmm. Because again, this is the sacrifice of the church, ourselves uniting ourselves, our lives, our works, our prayers with Christ in his sacrifice. That's really getting at the essential content of yeah. the Eucharist. All right. Well, I'm excited to explore this more with the sacrament of presence and sacrament of communion. And I, I, this has been very edifying. So thank you for, for sharing. And You're again, welcome. we'll have links in the show notes to documents. You mentioned the God is love encyclical. We'll put that in there. And then also the videos from the conference will Good. be linked and, and shown that they should be available by the time people are hearing this. So Thank you, Bishop. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, Produced by Miriam Schmitz and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.